0: Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day-to-day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. So here we are again. Welcome back to the show. My name's Caleb, and this is a place where we talk about the Bible, we talk about renewing, and we talk about the mind. And lately, we've been talking a lot about the kind of things that drive our thinking, because we've been going through a book by Dave Breest called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. And this week, we're on John Maynard Keynes. Now, this book is worth your time to read, because it gives an overview of these seven men, most of them, all of them from the 1800s and tipping into the early 1900s. But all of them left their mark on society, and it's stunning to read it and see how the world is functioning today. And that these men very much left their thought and their their way of understanding the world to the future generations ahead of them. And now in many ways, in lots of ways, we are uh, reaping the rewards of much of the atheistic and godless thought that went into their writings. And when you combine it all together, it's creating quite the mess that we have around us today, especially when we look at the racial violence is taking place, we look at the the fear that is around people, the economic collapsing that's happening. This is coming out in June of 2020, so we're still in the midst of coronavirus, uh, political issues taking place in Asia at the moment. All of this is happening, and these seven men still rule the world from the grave. So we've been spending a lot of time about on that, and it's, discussing that, and I've been kind of pointing out some of what I think are the highlights of Dave Reese's books, The Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. And today we're looking at John Maynard Keynes. So this chap was a Brit, uh, born in the 1800s, died in the nineteen late 1940s. Uh, he was most well known for being an economist. We talk about Keynesian economics to this day uh in the in the in the time of his life and even after he was instrumental in post world war one uh involvements with the 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 winning side against germany he argued against putting such massive um financial obligations on Germany after World War I. He wrote uh, quite a bit about economics, mostly macroeconomics. So he's considered the father of macroeconomics, which is this massive overriding understanding, overarching understanding of economics on sort of a global level with whole nations involved. And so we have this today with the World uh Bank, International Monetary Fund, things like that, Federal Reserve. He was sort of in that world. He heavily advised uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, during the Depression to help America try to get itself up out of the Depression era, that kind of thing. But he was also in many ways an intellectual, graduated from Eton, which was sort of an elite school, still is an elite school. I think uh, Prince William and Harry both graduated from Eton. And he also was a graduate of Cambridge, which, of course, is is sort of an an elite university, you know, Oxford and Cambridge. Over in the UK, he was born in Cambridge and raised there, so it was obvious he would go to university there. Very clever chap, Um, but also for a number of years was a member of, well, his adult life was a member of what was called the Bloomsbury Group, uh, which included a lot of the main thinkers and artists uh, and writers of the day. Not a lot. There was 10 of them. I shouldn't say a lot. Uh, there was a core group of 10, and he was one of that core group of 10. And uh, the only one I had actually really heard of before I read about that, or heard about actually on a podcast I was listening to about his life, was Virginia Woolf, and she's an, she's an author. And uh, I didn't really know anything about her. Apparently, she was extremely um, feminist. She was an extreme feminist in her views. And uh, But John Maynard Keynes, in that circle and in that time frame, uh, practiced a homosexual lifestyle for a number of years and eventually did get married to a Russian ballerina. So he had a, an interesting life, but not one that I think uh, in his circles was sort of – people knew about it, although at that time being homosexual was not something that you promoted in any sense. Uh, but it was accepted within his, his – uh, sort of intelligentsia crowd that he considered his closest friends. But we're going to talk about his economic ideas. So like I said, he was the father of macroeconomics, as it's called today. Now, this was a view, even in his day, he was well known because of the circles that he moved in and high up politics, both in Britain, Europe, and America. And so he was a known Thinker in the world of economics. Now, uh, his ideas persisted all the way through the 40s and 50s and into the 70s, sort of fell to the wayside a bit. But then uh, Richard, guys like, men like Richard Nixon called himself a Keynesian economicist, or at least he held that view. And then also in our more modern era, Barack Obama. Uh, and you can read about that on Wikipedia. Under John Maynard Keene's article, under his page, Barack Obama picked up his teaching. And understanding of economics, and so what does it really come down to? I'm not a, I'm not in the world of economics. I'm not an economist, uh, but I read the, I read Dave Brees' book, and this John Maynard Keynes was one of the people, so I found it interesting to learn about him. So let me read you a paragraph. Uh, that sort of sums up John Maynard Keynes' views as written by Dave Brees in his book. So th- let me read it. It may well be said that the philosophy Keynes brought to the center of the world's thinking could be summed up in the maxim, quote, The government has all the answers. Keynes thought he had proved that government intervention would move the economy, government guarantees would stabilize the banks, government protection would satisfy the labor unions, government regulation would stabilize transportation, travel, media, housing, mortgages, pension funds, and retirement plans, and a thousand other things in which the government is now called upon to produce stability. Keynesian economics preaches the doctrine that the government is the final resource. It can answer every problem. It can create something out of nothing, namely prosperity. What can this mean except that the government is God? Now, how's that sound for a quote from old Dave Reese's book? The government is God. Now, think about this for a minute. In John Maynard Keene's day, World War I, had happened. He was involved in the post-war economic uh, shufflings, if you want to put it that way. He was also involved in FDR's government trying to sort out the American Depression. So, that being the case, he was trying to find out, well, at what point can we work to create stable economics? So there's all kinds of discussion about businesses and about money and about labor and about the relationship between business owners and labor and how the labor should be paid and what that money should do and where it should come from and value and resources and how resources should be turned into something valuable, which is made by the labor force, which is sold, blah, 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 blah. So it's all this discussion on all that. And again, I am no economist, uh, so I'm saying it in my own stupid Simplistic way of understanding. I mean, I work, I get paid, I go out and buy things to provide for my family uh, that I think are the value that I'm paying for them. That kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm personally I'm so far on sort of the basic level of economics, but John Minter Keynes worked at this upper level. He was in the macroeconomic world, but what he concluded was that the government is the highest authority in the land, and therefore it should be the government that provides the finances to boost the economy. Now, jump ahead to our own day. Now. So, like I said, it's not that hard to whip out a Wikipedia page and find out that Barack Obama was a Keynesian (laughs) economist, a believer in Keynesian economics. So what did Barack Obama do? He passed the, his Jobs Bill. And in that Jobs Bill, he wanted the government to be the one that came along to look for shovel-ready jobs and build roads and bridges all over the country. So I heard the speech and, you know, saw that that was what was happening. But the question then is, is well, where does the money come from to make all of these suddenly federal employees, basically? I mean, the the government is the ones that maintain roads and bridges and things like that at a state level and a federal level. So the money has to come from somewhere, and that's always the question. Now, in the time that the Dave Brees' book, Seven Men Who Rule From the Grave, was written, the American national deficit was something like $3 trillion. I mean, it's much bigger than that now because we're jumping ahead of pushing 30 years, and so now it's it's huge. But where does this money come from? We've all heard about how China owes America money, America owes China money, the, all these countries are in debt. Back in the uh, late 1990s, I think Bono from U2 was going around trying to get people like the Pope and the International Monetary Fund and World Bank and these kind of groups to forgive third world debt around the world so they can at least get themselves in a position where they can kickstart their own economies. So um, I'm not saying Bono's a Keynesian economy person. I'm just saying that's a lot of what was happening was trying to alleviate world debt at a government level. Um, Because debt's a a killer thing. Now, here's the problem. Yes, the government can sort of create numbers out of thin air and shove them back down into the economy. We've been seeing that happen right now with the coronavirus and the government stimulus checks. I mean, I had one dropped in my mailbox a couple months ago, Uh, for several thousand dollars, and so the government was going around handing out money to basically almost everybody uh, who they deemed needed this kind of money. And so in order to try to boost the economy, I remember George Bush tried it uh, to boost the economy and all this kind of thing. But this idea that the government is God, I mean, look at the list that Dave Brees brings up in this book. Uh, Keynes thought that the government would be able to State government guarantees the world stable would stabilize the banks, would satisfy labor unions, would regulate and stabilize transportation, travel, media, housing, mortgages, pension funds, retirement plans, and a thousand other things, which the government is now called upon to stabilize. Now, let me make a suggestion to you. Our government here in America and in a lot of countries around the world – I've lived in South Africa. I've lived in England. A lot of countries around the world – have what is called a democratic form of government, which means the people vote and the votes get tallied up and then certain government um, parties or people then become the leadership. Now, what basically does that function on? It functions off of the person's opinion at the time when they cast their vote. And it's also based on how persuasive a political leader can be in getting people to think that he's the guy for the job or woman for the job. And it's also based on the ignorance or intelligence of the people who are casting the vote. So uh, it falls into line with the whole might makes right thing. So the more people that you have when you have a majority, they must be correct in their assessment of who the leader should be. So let's make that person the leader. Now, That all sounds great in a logical sense because then the majority rules and so that means there should be less people to argue and moan and whine about who actually got in because the majority of the people got their guy in, right? But as we saw in the days with Hitler when he was nominated as Man of the Year by Time magazine in something like 1936 or thirty-eight, somewhere in there. Uh, the world can get it wrong, and the majority can get it very wrong and So we saw in World War two how the the crowds were just in ecstatics over Hitler and his speeches, and that he would bring change to the German people and everything would be great and all this kind of thing and Then, within ten years, well under ten years, uh, the nation of Germany was completely decimated all over again, and tens of millions of people lost their lives. And so, might, or sorry, the majority is not always right. And there's this problem with sort of a group think mentality. When when people are uh, conditioned to think a certain way, then it can make it hard or easy for other people to come in and kind of get what they want, all right? So, quite often, you, you see this in the scriptures, read the Gospels and take note of when the crowds do certain things. okay? So for a good chunk of Jesus's ministry, the crowds loved him and they would try to make him king or they would flock to him for food or they would flock to him for healings and things like that. And then later on, when you get toward the end of the gospels, there's this crazy 180 shift and the crowds are all of a sudden yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so we see it just in the short span of Jesus's life that that he goes from being you know, this great celebrity in the eyes of the crowds down to a criminal that needed to be hung on a cross and crucified. So this is what happens in sort of groupthink like that. So I'm saying all that to say, now I live in America, I vote. I'm not anti-voting or anything like that. I do go and vote. But what I'm saying is is that the society as a whole is has there's sort of a zeitgeist. There's a spirit of the age that rules and we see this in scripture with the rise and fall of empires especially in the book of Daniel uh but we certainly see it in our day and age today from the 1970s up to uh our current day you can read history and go back as far as you want but there's always these uh these always these peaks and troughs of 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 societal thinking of what's considered normal what's considered culturally correct these kind of things and i think today we do sort of live in an age where a lot of people think the government is there to solve all of our problems. And so this I, Keynesian idea uh, was sort of ahead of its time in that sense, although bear in mind he came from Britain, which was ruled by a monarchy for thousands of years. Well, not thousands of years. I mean, a thousand years <laughs> from basically 1066 and all that, uh, up to the present day, even in his day with the very you know kings, and, him, and he was born in the Victorian period, Um so he came from a background of a monarchy that ruled. And the government really did claim that it was God invested. It was you know, it was invested by God to have the authority it needed to have. I mean, that's the whole you know, idea of the doctrine of the king and all that kind of thing. So we don't have that over here in America. We just vote. So the people rule, so to speak. But um but we have to be careful. I remember when Obama was running for president and I saw a clip on television or whatever of him addressing a crowd and there was a lady there that was begging him to do something about the healthcare system or something because her son had died and he wouldn't have died had the healthcare system been better. And I'm not trying to belittle the woman's pain and suffering of the death of her son by any means, but I do tend to think that that kind of thing is probably what prompted Obama to create his health care reforms and all that, uh, which basically caused massive turmoil at the time, and people moaned and whined and complained about why we have to be fined if we can't afford health insurance and all the prices skyrocketed and all that. But think about it. It fell within Obama's philosophy. As a Keynesian thinker, his philosophy was the government is here to solve everybody's problems. Now, this is a logical outcome if you eliminate God from everything. If you have no God, what do you have left? Well, I guess we have the government. That's the next highest authority that we will go to. So then the government now becomes this idol that we all... um, you know plead to when things are going wrong and we stamp our foot and say how come the government doesn't do anything about it and those silly people and if man they're just you know we all become armchair politicians and so this is this is incorrect thinking now again let's go back to Jesus what was his position when he walked to the earth so Jesus who is our example lived at a time of uh national oppression under the Romans. So he lived in an occupied state. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about Karl Marx and the life that Jesus, the, the, the society and the circumstances of Jesus's life at the time. So Jesus had every opportunity to criticize the Roman government, but he didn't now there were though now the Romans weren't kind in those days. if you criticize them, they smashed you flat, which is exactly what happened uh, in 70 AD so like 30 or 40 about 40 years after Jesus resurrected, the Romans came in 70 AD and they just wiped Jerusalem out flat and destroyed the temple. And then in about 130 A.D., so like another 60 years later or so, there was another rebellion by the Jews called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And in that, they tried to rise up against the Romans and get rid of them, and the Romans completely wiped them out again. So they had two, within the course of, you know, within a generation or so, they got completely bashed by the Romans. Romans were not kind, but... Uh, there was a lot of anger and frustration against the Romans. I mean, that's obvious when you read the Gospels. The Romans were not liked. Any Jews who associated Romans were not liked. They were considered traitors and that kind of thing. Uh, if you watch the new series coming out, The Chosen, it it certainly portrays this as, you know, nobody likes the Romans, the taxes and all that. Matthew, the tax collector, is occasionally punched because he's associating with the Romans. Now, uh, in those days... The Caesar of that time, I think Julius Caesar, declared himself to be the son of God because his adopted father... Uh, Caesar, I think Augustus was declared God by the Roman Senate. So you have a dead Caesar who's declared God by the Roman Senate, followed immediately by his adopted son who becomes Caesar and he declares himself the son of God. And so this is in direct opposition to the son of God who was walking the earth in Israel. You see this amazing cultural parallel taking place there. So Julius Caesar, who is, um, no, sorry, it wasn't Julius Caesar, Tiberius Caesar. He's the one who declared himself the son of God. Uh if I if you want to correct me on that, <laughs> you may. But anyway, that was what was happening at the time. And so but Jesus did not actively attack him. There's one time he called Herod a snake. But otherwise, he never once tried to run for political office or anything like that. He did not see the government as being the solution to everyone's problems. What Jesus saw was that sin controlled the lives of people and that sin needed to be repented of, and that he was able to free people from sin. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so because of his death and his resurrection, he was in able through the spirit to free people from sin and give them liberty from the inside out so it's not the government trying to control and make the world a better place it is jesus himself that is transforming people's lives and making them better and if every single person submitted themselves to the authority of god and allowed god's spirit to revitalize them and give them a new life that the scriptures Promise to anyone who submits himself to the Lord, then that would solve the world's problems, and we wouldn't need the government to be God, so to speak. So, Keynesian economics um, has lots of variants, and like I said, I'm not an economist, but what I'm saying is, is again, it cut God out of the picture, and when God's cut out of the pictures everything tanks to the ground. So your job then is to search the scriptures, read the gospels, discover the life-giving power of the word of God, and in that you will have freedom and you won't have to feel like you need to trust the government and everything that it does. God bless you and have a great day.